Welcome to Boob Talk with your host, Cynthia Rogers. It's time to get it off our chest as we discuss the issues breast cancer and other cancer survivors face. Come along on our journey. We are survivors. Welcome to Boob Talk. I'm your host, Cynthia Rogers. Thank you for joining me this evening. Now, I've been on a brief show hiatus for a little while uh, due to the recent illness and passing of my mother on April 13th. And so tonight's show is kind of emotional. Uh, We're going to be discussing how to cope with the loss of a loved one and also during the COVID-19 pandemic. So tonight we have a return special guest grief educator, spiritual life wellness coach, and mental health ambassador, Ophelia Regalt. She's with us tonight to guide me and our listeners through this process. Ophelia, welcome back to Boob Talk. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So I just want to thank you for for coming on the show to help me go through my journey and also to help others. So before we get started, I guess I just want to briefly share with you and our listeners what I've been going through during my journey uh, this last couple months and up until this point. So uh, basically, I have, you know, had to take a brief hiatus because my mother became ill. It all started, I would say, probably around uh, October or so, my mother got the flu shot and ironically started saying she wasn't feeling well. And um, we just attributed it to the fact that sometimes, you know, when you get the flu shot, you get a little achy for the first couple of days, and that's what she said she was feeling. But it lasted about a week, and then, you know, she said she was feeling better. But um, by the time Thanksgiving around came around and I had, you know, talked to her, uh, she said she wasn't feeling well and hadn't been eating. And I didn't know this. So, you know, I encouraged her, you know, you need to go to the doctor to get checked out. And she was just saying that she was very fatigued, didn't feel like doing anything, which was not like her. So, you know, I really said, Mom, you really need to go to the doctor to find out what's what's going on, especially if you haven't been eating. Um, she used to be on thyroid medication and told me that they had taken her off her medication, so we thought, well, maybe you need to be back on your thyroid medicine, and that's just all probably what it is. So she was still, he hung around about going to the doctor, get checked out, and still wasn't feeling well, and I said, Mom, no, you seriously need to just call the doctor and tell them how you're feeling, and maybe you think you need to be back on your thyroid medication and go from there. So she finally did that, and, you know, Fast forward to Christmas time, you know, I saw her at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and she just didn't look very well. She didn't seem herself mentally. She seemed a little bit off. She had lost some weight, you know, so she was able to get an appointment for sometime in January to get a CAT scan. So she had the CAT scan, and one day I'm sitting at work and get a call from her doctor's office saying, we just called your mother and we got the CAT scan results back, and she has blood clots in both of her lungs, and we told her to get to the ER immediately. So then everything just went downhill from there. 
But in our mind, we're thinking, okay, this is something that's treatable, even though, you know, it's at that point it could have been a life or death situation. But they caught it in time, put her on blood thinners, and um, she was, you know, and she was in the hospital for about a week and then came home. And uh, during, you know, while she was at home, she still wasn't really eating well, but was, you know, doing a little bit better. She had to learn how to give herself blood, uh, blood shots, thinner shots in her stomach, you know. So we just thought, you know, we've passed a hurdle. You know, she'll just have to be on blood thinners and she's going to be okay. But uh, during that time, we also found out that her CAT scan results showed that she had a mass in her pelvic area and that she had endometriosis, which is something that, you know, for a lot of women is common, which I also have that. So once again, we're thinking, okay, it's just a fibroid. Maybe they'll just take take it off. It needs to be removed, and she'll be fine. From there, I would say maybe about a month later, she, she had been home from the hospital for a month. A month later, I get a call from her saying that she was on her way to the emergency room because, she had started bleeding and you know so now we're in in panic mode um my mom she lived a couple hours away from me so you know i immediately got myself together and you know we drove down you know and then from there you know they told us oh you know the blood thinners are causing her to to bleed so they're going to have to take her off the blood thinners to try to stop the bleeding and you know so still in our minds thinking, okay, this is something that's going to be fixable. She's going to be fine. So she was in the hospital then for uh, about a week, and the doctors then came back and told us, um, you know, one of the issues with her bleeding could be from cancer. And that at that point, we were just totally shocked. You know, they were saying the issue with her blood clots could show that either she had some issues going on with her heart, which they ran tests and said her heart was fine, and that, um, you know, the issue, you know, with the bleeding and then with her lungs, because then all of a sudden her lungs started filling with, with fluid and she couldn't breathe. And they said one sign of fluid in your lungs is a sign of cancer. So we were totally unprepared for that. So then from there, my mom just seemed to get weaker and weaker. She was in, you know, the hospital uh, from from there. They wanted to do um, testing because on this mass that she had, but be- previously before that they couldn't do the testing because they didn't feel she was stable enough because she just had been put on these blood thinners. So now it's a matter of her playing this waiting game for her to, you know, get this testing on her mass and get a biopsy. Well, they scheduled the biopsy, and then my mom, you know, got fluid built up in her lungs. They had to postpone that. So it was just like a back-and-forth waiting game. So finally she was able to get this testing done, but then from there she became so weak they decided she needed to go to, to a rehab. And now this is all of a sudden when the COVID-19 pandemic has started to take on a life of its own and she had got transferred to a rehab and then we were told you're not going to be allowed to see her so at this point we were just like wait a minute what do you mean we can't see her and that's when you know they said because of COVID-19 now 
you know, all of the rehab facilities. We're going to not be allowing visitors, nursing homes. So at this point, you know, we're kind of panicking because we still don't know what's going on with her. These test results haven't come back, and now we're not even going to be allowed to see her. So she was in this rehab facility, I would say, for almost about two and a half weeks. And then during that time, we got the news that she had uterine cancer that had spread to her lungs, and they said there's nothing that can be done. And now at this point, we're just still in shock, and we're devastated. But during the whole process, my mother, she remained calm. You know, we were able to, you know, call and talk to her every day, and she said, I'm going to beat this. She said, uh, you know, I'm not going to die. This is, you know, I'm fine. I'll be fine. And because of her faith in God, I had faith. We all had faith. So even though this was, you know, a devastating time, we still all maintained our faith. So um, she was, uh, you know, allowed to, to leave rehab, and she came home on a Friday. And during this time, because in my area where I am in Buffalo, in New York State, you know, COVID-19 now has exploded. So my husband and I, you know, were discussing you know, should I leave and travel? Because at this point they were kind of putting a travel ban that we shouldn't be traveling. And so I just told my husband, I said, you know what, I don't care. I said, it's my mom. I don't know how much time she has, you know, so I said, I have to go. So I met my mom, you know, when she got released from rehab. I was with her over the weekend, and on a Monday morning she told me she couldn't breathe. She would call the ambulance. And then from there, she got rushed to the hospital, and um, her lungs ended up collapsing. And at this time, because of COVID-19, they weren't going to allow anyone to see her in the hospital. They let me, one person, go with her to the ER. And then once she became admitted, no one was allowed to see her. So that was also, you know, hard because we didn't know what was going on. And um, in the beginning, we just thought, okay, they said she had fluid in her lungs. That we thought previously they had that happened to her before. They were going to just drain her lung, and she was going to be fine. But at this point, because she had been so weak, even when she was home, we decided she needed to go back to a rehab. So we made all the arrangements for her to get transferred to a rehab, which is going to be closer to my sister. You know, so at some point, if maybe. They released, you know, the the ban on letting people go to visit, you know, family members and healthcare facilities. My sister would be right there, so we were all upbeat and excited. My mom was happy, still positive. I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm not going to die. Um, my brother had just had a baby, and she said, you know, I still have to see, you know, my grandson. So we were still optimistic until I I get the call which was on a Thursday, saying that my mother's lungs had collapsed and I'm her health care proxy. They can put her on a ventilator or else let her go. And at that point, it just seemed like a reality hit. And I panicked and I didn't know what to do. And so I made the decision to put her on the ventilator. So we had to put on the ventilator and they basically said at this point there's probably nothing that they're going to be able to do so my brother at the time and it still is he lives in Vancouver Canada he was flying in that that night 
so he made it. And they did now allow us to visit her. And so we saw her. I saw her the day they put her on the ventilator and, you know, went into her room. My sister ended up coming, was allowed to come and visit with her, but they had her sedated. And, um, you know, we sang and prayed and talked to her. Her eyes were closed. She was sedated, but we started praying with her, and she opened her eyes for a couple of seconds, and she lifted her hand as if she was praying. So then we knew she could hear us, and then she closed her eyes again, and that was it. And then we were able to see her the next day, which was fr- a Friday, and then at this point there was no response from her at all. So we made the decision to, oh, if she didn't improve over the weekend, um, come that Monday, which was the day after Easter, we were just going to let her go. So um, we went in. We were allowed, the family was then allowed to go in on Monday to see her, and we took her off the ventilator, and, you know, we prayed with her. At this point, her eyes were open, and um, she passed. So it was just a shock of you're thinking one thing, that someone's going to be fine, and then all of a sudden, within a week, they're gone. And I've been going through a roller coaster of emotions from shock to anger to guilt, thinking maybe should I have put her on the ventilator because, you know, the doctors, you know, said in their opinion, her doctor said he wouldn't put his family member through that. So I'm thinking, you know, was she suffering while she had been on the ventilator? Then, you know, from from going to that to loneliness because my mother was my best friend. I talked to her every day. But then at the end of the day, I'm also grateful, grateful that I had the chance to spend that last weekend with her, and I told her every day, all day, how much I loved her, not knowing that it was going to be the last time that I was going to be able to talk to her, and just grateful for her life, and just realizing the fact, looking back now on how much she loved us, and how much she loved her family. So, I'm in need of... sharing that beautiful story, and... I want to ask you, what was your mother's name? Hazel. Hazel. You know, we are not taught how to grieve. And the other day I was looking up, I went on Google, and I put in Google, I was just praying, and I put in Google the opposite of grief. And the word that came up was joy. And... We are not taught how to grieve. Grief is universal. And the one thing that I want to let you know is that every feeling that you're feeling, Cynthia, honor it. When we are hit, and as I listen to your story, I can hear so many different types of grief that you have experienced. You've experienced grief as a daughter. You're experiencing grief as siblings in your connection to your mother unit, and you're experiencing grief as a best friend, your mother was your best friend, and you're experiencing grief as a woman who's now lost the matriarch of your family. And it's also when we, our mother dies, we now 
as a woman, as your brother, become the first generation. Our parents, sort of like in the Army, you have a point person. They go and check to see how the dangers have happened. Now it's us. So grief of the loss of a parent, of the death of a parent, hits us on many levels. And this is so fresh for you. It's so acute for you. Be so gentle with yourself. When you are feeling anything, and no emotions is positive or negative, but when you feel guilt and you feel anger and you feel sadness, feel it. It's okay. You know, you talked about the five stages of grief, and I think it's important to understand. Um, Keebler-Ross came up with this idea to help people to understand grief. And there's no order in it. And a lot of times, sometimes people think that there's, there's the right way and then there, there's the wrong way of grieving. And we talk about the different stages of grief. And I want people to really understand that there's no cycle. There's no that you go from one stage and then you go to the next and then you're done. Grief is ongoing. And when I say that, I don't mean, and I'm talking from my experience, I'm talking from working with clients, what I've seen in the last 11 years since my mother has died is that the way that I felt in the beginning is not the same that I feel now. But on Sundays, the intensity is the same. But the length of the intensity is definitely not the same. And what I would want to tell you that I wish somebody had told me when my mother died is that grief is the price we pay for love. You are grieving your mom because you loved her. Grief is another word for love. So take that into your heart. And I, when you feel that guilt, like when you feel that guilt, I want you to imagine the shoes on the other foot. If you were in the position of your mom and your mom had to make that decision, would you want her to feel guilty if she was here? And I don't think from the from knowing you, you would want your mom to feel guilty. I don't no. know your mom, but I got to know you in this, these conversations and watching your posts. And I always say that, I always tell people, my mother is still mothering me. And I know that if the, when I felt guilty because the choices that you make, because we make choices with the best of our choices. We don't know. Like, I had to make that decision myself, you know, about... Do I allow to have, uh, I had to decide all of a sudden, do not resuscitate order because my mom died of bone cancer. And it was really difficult because there was nothing that she signed, but I knew her. And, and you're, you're being faced with these choices in the face of hope because you want your, your loved one to live, and then the reality is somebody saying, no, they're not going to live, they're going to die. Right. And we are not doctors. We don't see black and white. This is my mummy. This is the woman that comforted me. And now and before, those decisions was made by her because she was the point person. She was the mom. And now you have to make these decisions in a exactly. snap of a finger. So I want you to know that guilt and maybe shame comes because of love. Okay. You do not make your mom sick. 
it happen to her, right? Nobody wants to become ill and nobody wants their parents to die, and especially in the sense of how it happened. So honor your feeling because when you feel anger, you need to feel anger because that's the anger that's the fuel to get you through the day-to-day. Sometimes you feel denial and you feel isolation and you feel that you want to bargain. Depression hits. And depression, the feeling of sadness and melancholy, I like to say more than depression, because I use the word depression when people are clinically diagnosed with depression. Grief can become clinically diagnosed with depression, but grief is a unique feeling. It's melancholy. It's sadness. And then comes the, you know, people come to a place of acceptance and meaning. And acceptance and meaning comes differently for everybody. And the best thing that I can tell you about grief and loss and anybody who's experiencing it is that right now it's a big circle and it's everything. It's your whole world right now. You're processing a big pain. And we process this pain, and this is what I tell people, the only way that we truly process pain is when our body is in a sense of relaxation. And that's why I love restorative yoga. Because I can teach you how to meditate, but if your body is tense, if your mind is tense, it doesn't work. So the best thing that I can tell people is find a way to relax your body and then the mind and the spirit follows. Because when that's why they say when we're sick, we encourage us to sleep, right? But yes. you know, when we're grieving, it's difficult to sleep because we have all these thoughts in our head. Right. Yeah, I was, you know, you know waking have, waking up all hours of the night, couldn't get back to sleep and, you know, just feeling overcome with guilt and you know, frustration, anger, mom, why, you know, why did you leave me? Yeah, but then you're I'm, I'm thinking, angry at her. Right, yeah. you and, know. And it's okay to be angry at her because you, the thoughts are going to come. You said you were going to be fine. You promised you were going to see, you were going to be there for your, your, your new grandson. And those are feelings that I want to encourage you because here's the thing that you're going to notice. You're going to notice your siblings through different lenses you will see your siblings through different lens because now they're not brothers and sisters and your mom was holding everybody together. They're now individuals, and now the whole family is grieving. You will grieve as an individual, but you grieve as a family. And this is the opportunity for to be honest about the feelings, and that's what I really want people to know. I, When we have a grief, You know, we focus so much on the funeral and the process and the paperwork and then what happens. And during this time, what you are also grieving is that their funeral and the celebration is not there because we can't all physically come together. So that's another layer of grief during this time. The the ability to have her friends and her family and her church and the, you know, and have that memory of having, you know, you know, a how you spoke, speak of your mom and you spoke of her sounds like she had a big community around her. Where can you can't get that? That's another grief you're grieving. You're grieving community. You're grieving this anticipatory grief that, oh, she's going to get better. And when people have been sick for a while, you, it's all that anticipatory grief layered on complicated grief 
layered on the fact that your mom was ill before, layered on the fact that you are a cancer survivor, layered on so many facts, right? So grief is complicated. It is something that is here in every person's life, even animals. And as a teacher, as a transformational grief coach, what I say now and to you is honor your feelings. The transformation happens when we honor those feelings. And have my voice in your head when you start to feel really bad about what you're feeling and start to beat yourself up. Just remember that Ophelia say, I need to honor this. Self-care okay. is so important. And I was speaking to Dr. Brooke Brime, and she really, when I interviewed her, it's not about totally self-soothing because we need to remember that, yes, we all self-soothe. And think of a baby. We give a baby a pacifier because they're crying. That's self-soothing, right? That's important. And I was thinking, like a lot of people are saying, why are liquor stores considered essential places during the COVID-19 you know, because in Canada, all the liquor stores are open. I'm like, and as a counselor, I know exactly why it is. People use various things to self-soothe when they're under stress. Right. We That's all true. do it. It's just that some self-soothing techniques are looked down on society more. So a woman who is promoting on Facebook that she loves drinking wine every night, two or three glasses, four glasses, a bottle, Everybody thinks it's fashionable, that's self-soothing, right? Oh, my God, I can't handle the kids. I'm drinking wine. The right. drug addict I on noticed. the corner is doing the same thing, but we look down on that person. It's all forms right. of self-soothing because of managing stress. So, I noticed that I have start, started just eating junk, not healthy, and then I realized what I was doing, and I, ha- I had to say no I don't want to go down this road, and I, you know, I had to stop myself. So I want to encourage you to a little bit of intuitive eating. Uh, no food is bad food because then you get into the guilty cycle. So it's about saying to yourself, you know why I'm eating this pack of chips, and you're going to start to feel a little bit better about it. You tell yourself, I'm eating this bag of chips because I just want a little comfort. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to enjoy it. And as you do that, it's actually when you eat it and you enjoy that bag of chips, you tend not to want another one. And when we eat it, then we feel guilty because you're self-soothing. And it's okay. Okay. There are different ways that we can self-soothe. The way that we self-care for ourselves is different than self-soothing. And self-soothing can be part of self-care, but... When we actually cross over to self-care is when we've decided, you know what, I'm feeling this heaviness of this pain of grief. And you know what the feeling that's most heavy on me or is most prominent, the highlighter, is the guilt. When we decide, I wonder why I'm feeling guilty, that's when you go and step over from self-soothing to self-care. Because self-care and self-compassion is understanding that you're, you're having insight. And the way that we can practice insight 
is going introspectively. And we can actually learn how to go introspectively. And what happens to addicts, the people who are addicted, and the addiction that they're using is affecting their life really negatively, is every time they start to look within, the pain comes up. So they do something, they self-soothe again. So how we process things. So this is what I would challenge you to do when you're feeling sad, create a grief kit. So you will have good moments, bad moments, good moments. In your good moments or in your more awareness, if it's early in the morning when you're praying, have a grief kit near you. A grief kit can be something really simple. Mine is um, used to be in a basket. It can be in a desk drawer. But you're going to tell yourself, when I'm feeling overwhelmed with emotions, this is where I'm going to go. I had a few places that my grief kit was. It was in my car. I would, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed at work, I would go in my car and drive. I had a special spot that I would go. I had, it was in my meditation office room, and it was, I had a special comfy chair, had a blanket there, a scarf from my mom, things that brought me total comfort. I had some Well, you know, I I kind of have, I've, I've kind of done that and not even now realizing that I've done that because Good. after she passed, I have, you know, like a little mini walk-in closet and, I you know, I had a picture of her from the memorial service we had for her, so I hung that up on my wall. I have um, a little urn of her ashes and I have a picture of her and I together. And so every morning, you know, I still talk to her like she's still here with me. I'll go and, you know, get ready for the day, go in my closet, and I'm like, hi, Ma, how you doing? You know, and I'm still, I still talk to her as if she's here. Now, let me ask you this. Is this something that is healthy to do? Or Very healthy. am I going nuts? <laughs> Very healthy. Grief can okay. make you feel that you're going nuts because you know why it makes you feel that you go nuts? Because we keep it how we're healing in secret. There's actually a psychological theory called continuing the bond of love. And that's the, um, the awareness that they found when they studied people, like people went through the Keebler Ross model and they got to this place, the final level of acceptance. They realized that I still miss my, I still miss my, um, my loved one and what they look like and if you look at different cultures um our brain still remembers our parents like my mom was in my life for 40 years and i felt guilty when i would talk to her but when i started to study about grief it's very healthy because you the bond of love doesn't go away you will always love your mom what grief is doing to you and anybody else is out there what's happening the process of grief is you're learning what to do with all this love. So your mom died. You had uh, you buried her or however you decide to deal with her physical body. The love hasn't gone anywhere because we love. Love is spiritual. So where do you do with all this love that you now can't put it towards a physical body? You can't hug her. But you, so the process of grief, the process that we go through grief, the process that I went through grief, is learning where to put all that love. And there, it's about creating meaning. 
Okay. And that's like the fifth, the sixth part of um, the grief process is that you get to a place where you find meaning. So talk to your mom. You will feel angry. You will feel upset. If you're mad at her, honor it. And you will learn. And grief is a teaching. Um, the universe allows us to grieve because we have loved. And grief, and I'm talking from my experience, I love differently than I did 11 years ago. I tolerate m- more love. I am more open. How I coach clients is differently. However, what I've learned about grief, I tolerate less things that does not bring me joy. I am more honest. I am more clear about what I want in my life and what I would do. And the meaning that I have brought to myself and transform my grief is the legacy of my mom. And my mom always used to say, don't let anything or anyone steal your joy. She said that from the moment that I can remember her. My mom used to say that too. Yes. And she loved the quote about, you know, misery will endure for the night, weeping will endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Yes. Right. But but remember, the morning is not in 24 hours. The morning is in a day, it's in a month, it's in a year. And 11 years from now, I want you to, I will send you an e- an e- a PDF book that I created. It's don't believe the myths that people tell you. And I want to tell the audience some of the things that, that annoys me when I hear people telling you. It's comforting and it can be. And sometimes the religious comforting is great. She's in a better place. She's up there in heaven. Yes, those are great things, and I believe it. You still you miss your mom. Right, right. And God in Christ, Mary knew that her son Jesus was the son of God. She still grieved for her child. True, that's true. And she was, and God must have known she was grieving because. I was listening to, I forgot his name, um, Warren. I forgot Pastor Warren. And he was talking about Pastor grief. Pastor Rick Warren. Rick Warren. And he was talking about grief and the loss of his son. And he says sometimes we forget that, you know, we talk about heaven and earth. But heaven is not on earth. We, when we die, we are in heaven. This is earth. Right. We want to bring as much heaven here. But on earth there's grief and there's sadness. So if you believe, and this is what helped, I really believe my mom is in a better place, but I'm here, and God has chosen me to be here. My mom knows that I'm here, and she wants me to live. And every day that I wake up, I'm choosing to live. So there came to a point I had to ask myself, why am I choosing every day to live? Because you know, if I, I didn't want ask- to live, I could have taken my right. life. Right. Uh, see, you bring up a, a very good point because in the beginning, you know, like I would say, when the, the first week of her passing at various times, I felt like because she was my best friend, I felt like, what is my purpose of being here now? And then, I, you know, I had to, you know, think about what she would tell me. You know, I still have a life to live because mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, wrestling with that for during the first week of her passing. And, you know, so that was kind of a struggle for me. But, you know, also, like you just pointed out, um, because my mom, you know, during the last, you know, month or so of her life, she was in pain and I know she was hurting, I actually, you know, was relieved that she's no longer suffering. 
And oh yes, I mean this it's, is it's something a gift for um, you and her. Right, and something that actually um, happened um, when she was put on a ventilator, you know, they came, I guess, to tell her that she was going to be put on a ventilator. And uh, the chaplain had, you know, come into the room. Now, at this point, when my mom was on the ventilator and I was there, and she told me, she said, you know, your mom was asking for you. She was, you know, asking for you. And she said, she said, this weirdest thing happened. She said, she started talking like you were here and said, Cindy, I'm going to be okay. So, and those, I think, were the last words that she said. So, you know. I want to share something to you, for you, um, that's just coming to me. Um, Your mom was, to the end, was a mother. And her job as a mom was to, is to reassure her children that things are going to be fine, right? Right. And that's what she did. Her job as a mother, I don't know if you have, do you have children of your own? No. No, okay. So your job as a mother, and you, you know your mom much better than I do, is to give you hope when you're feeling hopeless, is to encourage yeah. you. And that's what she did. To the very end, she gave you hope because she knows her kids better than anybody. Could you imagine if she says, well, I'm going to die, you know, you guys, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And it's okay if she believed it and it didn't happen because she believed it and it maybe gave her more time. But there comes a point where we don't know and death comes to us when it when it comes so she gave you hope because she was still being a mom and that's what mothers do and i remember my mom did that and i remember in my story my mom was there and then one day i went in i was going every day to the hospital and you know and you know you had and you're you're it's hospitals are stark they're not home it's that you're bombarded with all these things are not natural. And I know my mom was always being my mom. And the last day, the day that she died, I just had this overwhelming feeling not to go, and I couldn't go. And, my, and I believe that everyone whose parent dies, there's something we feel guilty because we love them so much and we wished and we were living in the if, if I had done this, this would have happened. That's the bargaining and that's normal because we need to process those feelings in order to get through to the next step and the next step. And what happens that I want to tell you and your audience who's listening is that the next step, it's not a step. It's a crazy mixed up circle. Like if you give a kid um, a marker and you say to draw and it's all mixed up and the lines go everywhere, that's okay, that's normal. Each day that you talk about it, you find ways to be grateful for your life, you find ways to connect to community, you learn about what the myths of grief are, you celebrate and honor them, you do a lot of self-care and self-compassion for yourself, and the biggest thing is about being in gratitude. And sometimes that's hard because we feel guilty for feeling gratitude because the other side of gratitude is love. But know this, Cynthia, know this to your audience. The more you grieve, the more you stay sad, the deeper your grief does not mean 
equals to love. So a lot of people feel, I have to stay sad for this amount of years because I love them that much. That's not how grief works. That's not what your loved one most likely would have wanted if the shoe was on the other foot. The depth of your sadness does not equal the depth of you loving them. They're not the same. You grieve because you know, that, you're sad. Right. That's a very interesting point that you bring up because most days and, you know, even I would say the week after, I would wake up in the morning and the sun would shine and I would just, I could feel my mother. And I was grateful and rejoicing that she had passed on, that she is not suffering anymore, you know, and I actually was feeling happy. And, you know, and that's really kind of been the latter part of the journey. I have my moments of sadness, but for the most part, you know, that's where my mindset has been where I've been joyful and, you know, I haven't been afraid to think about her or to talk about her. And I know I've been contacted by various people or family or friends, and I guess they're expecting me to be in this deep, dark depression, and I haven't been. You know, like I said, I'll have my little moments here or there or where something may trigger me you know, our memory or, or someone, you know, will ask, oh, how are you doing? You know, you're you're going to end up getting through this like I'm in this deep, deep, dark depression, but I'm not. I've been hopeful because that's how my mother was. And I know that she would not want me to be sitting around depressed, not wanting to get up or do anything, you know, and I just, I guess that part has just not been in me to be sad, continuously sad. So, you know, I, I know that a lot of people, when they go through the grieving process, are sad and depressed for years. You know, if certain holidays or things come up that's going to remind them of their loved one, you know, they just want to close the door, shut the curtains. But for me, I feel like that would be a disservice to my mother because she was not that type of person, and I feel like I just want to continue her, her legacy of living and, and love. So... You know, for Mother's Day, we're going to get together. Her last request um, was to have my husband make her some ribs and macaroni and cheese, she said, for Mother's Day. So we are still going to continue. My husband, you know, has been prepping to make Mother's Day dinner, and we're going to honor my my mom. So, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I guess it just, didn't dawn on me that, you know, I was just going to end up being in this deep, dark depression because that's just not who my mom was. And so, you know, and even now I realize, you know, I'm more like my mother now than I realized before. <laughs> so, so you know, we, that's that's part of the gratitude where I feel, you know, feel grateful for how she raised me. And I want to also honor people who do feel deeply sad because um, I don't want people to feel that, you know, oh, my God, I'm still feeling sad and it's a year later. The thing about it is that we grieve how we live, right? We grieve and we fall back on the skills that we have. So you are the type of person who looks for joy when you have experienced adversity and trauma so if you look back on 
moments of grief. And a lot of times grief is not only when someone has died, but having breast cancer, as we talked about, that's the grief. So you look back and you're training your upbringing is that, okay, something bad has happened, we feel it, but I want to find joy. So that's what I tell people. We grieve how we live and how people can get to a place if they choose to because wanting to make meaning into your life and wanting to feel better is a conscious choice. There comes a time when grief can come acute and we can get stuck in our grief and we need some professional help because we don't have the skills and how to shift it, right? Okay. So I tell people we grieve how we live. So some people, if you're listening out there and you're feeling stuck and you're stuck in the anger and the sadness and it's been six months, it's been a year, it's still okay. But if there's something in your mind saying, I don't want to feel this way, this doesn't honor them, it doesn't honor me, I don't like it, that's a little bit of your introspective self telling you, hmm, I think there might be a different way to grieve and remember and to honor. And that's where you can look for support to shift the grief. Grief doesn't go away. You won't get over it. Nobody gets over a deep grief. We get through it, and grief moves through us as we move through the grief. So your mother has died, and grief is coming in through your heart, and you have this choice now because of the skills that you have, how you're going to process it. So as it comes in through you, you're walking through grief, and each day is going to be different. But I want to just say something to you as I'm listening to you. It's okay to have moments of sadness because as much as you're like your mother, you're not your mom, and we only tend to know our mom as a mother And you remember, there are years that she was just a woman before she had you. She was also a child. And she also had relationships outside of you. So I learned a lot about my mom as a woman through her friends. Because, you know, women share stories. Like you have a best buddy and all of those sorts of things. And it's okay, Cynthia, and it's okay, anybody in the audience, as much as you're feeling gratitude, if you have days that you miss your mom and you want to stay home and just be in your cave and think about her, go ahead and do it. It's okay. okay. There's no guilt in okay. it. That does, that's not betraying your sense of gratitude. It's honoring your feelings. You really need to. The one thing that I want people to say is honor how you're feeling because when you honor it without judgment, without fear, without anger, without just saying, I shouldn't be feeling this. Take off the shoulds. It's not about shoulds. You're feeling sad. Okay, sit down with it. Allow your body to relax and sit with it and let it move through you. You're going to learn. Everything that we're feeling is a, is a testimony. And I have learned in the last 11 years, my sadness, my guilt, my guilt was anger because my mother left me. I felt guilty because I didn't do this because I was angry that she left me. My shame was because that it wasn't it was shame and shame is about you but it really wasn't shame. I was just feeling really alone. You know, I was her I'm her I have it's two of us, my sister and myself, but I'm much older than my sister. I felt alone and there was a shame. You know, maybe I should have made the right choices. And there's a lot of secret in grief and one of the things I wanna 
one of my mission. And the meaning that I have taken from my grief is that I know that the divine, my God, and Mother's story helps to transform people because grief should not be in secret. It's it's an emotion that we're experiencing. We need to be out there and talking about it because especially during this time, what's happened, COVID-19 has taken away our rituals. It's taken away... Yes. It's taken away hugs. It's taken away um, visits to the hospital. It's taken away buying flowers. It's, you know, you can buy your mom, um, in, you know, a nightgown. It's all those things, and then you have to be in masks, and you can't physically touch them. And you, It's all those things. That builds anxiety because as humans we need the touch, and it's taken away celebrations. It's taken, and that is something that you need to grieve as well. And Yes, that's one one, you know, one thing that because of the COVID-19 where we weren't allowed to sit here in rehab and, you know, she would tell us, you know, at some times that some of the staff were mistreating her and we, now we can't go in there to see her. And so that's another part of the guilt that I feel. How do I get through that? So the, the best way to get through it is to tell yourself you've done the best that you could in your human. And, you did do the best that you could. And always, when you're feeling guilty, put yourself in your mother's shoes. If you were the one that passed away, and you could talk to your mom survived, and your mom was feeling guilty, what would you tell her? Would you want her to feel guilty? Would you feel you made all the choices in love? That's what you would tell mom. Or mommy, you made this in love. Right. Grief can help you to be your own counselor, right? And that's yes. the best thing that I can tell you. And that's the gift that I want to leave with you and your audience because it took me a long time to get here, and that's why I really love the work that I do, that if I, if this can help someone to not take, you know, like I took like a good seven years to figure this all out. But I realized now looking back that God was there and it was this was my mission and my ministry to help people now because I had to walk the walk and I can talk the talk and see what was missing in our society. And in our society, we're missing talking about grief. We're not open to it, and we don't want people to really feel and to honor those feelings, and we, we don't teach them how to move through them. Right. And That's honor- one of the reasons why I wanted to do to do this show, to, you know, be open and discuss this. I mean, a lot of people that know me personally know that I've always been transparent about whatever is going on in my life. So I just mm-hmm. thought I'm going through this and I want to be able to empower and help myself and help others that are going through this, especially during this time of the COVID-19 where, you know, you might not be able to be near your loved ones if, if they pass. Yeah, so it's really important to find ways you can use technology so if your family wants maybe having a Zoom celebration with her friends and church members, you know, get everybody online and share their favorite stories. Um, you know, tell everybody, okay, we're going to get together on this day. We're going to, you know, go on Zoom for like two hours or whatever the media is or create a Facebook group and let people come on. Like Zoom is really a great way. And if it's a paid account, you can have as many people as you want. And let people come together I really believe that we have to be creative and not let COVID-19 steal our rituals of when okay. someone has passed away. So your mom wanted, you know, 
let everybody cook their favorite, your mom's favorite meal at their own house, come together at this certain time online and have that celebration because celebration and rituals is not for your mom. It's for you. It's, you need the memories. Memories are what's going to help you to get you through it. And the one okay. thing that, I, that helped me when somebody told me this was when I was taking my grief um, training certificate certification was that we tend to remember sometimes the day they died but not the years that they lived. Mm. Right? And that's what grief can do. Grief can make us focus on the days or the months that they were suffering and they died. And that's okay because we need to because we need to be angry and that's fine because you miss them. But as you find a way to find some peace and find some healing, and healing looks different for everybody, and your siblings will heal and process differently. You'll have the quiet ones. You'll have the talkative ones. you have the ones who just want to be busy and go back to work and don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Don't judge anybody. Just know that they're okay. dealing with it this way. The one thing that you – and don't take on too much because your heart is big. I'm telling everybody that when you're grieving, you really need to be self-caring. Self-caring is okay. not selfish. It's saying, and the best thing that I tell anybody is try for the first year – not to make any major decisions because you're having grief brain. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have grief brain. Your brain becomes, we start to forget a little bit things, and as, if you're older and if you're dealing with another illness, it adds on. So allow yourself to process, and, you know, if you're a faith-based person, this is a great time to connect to your faith and your spirituality. It's also a great time to find a movement that you can add into your faith, Um so for me, it's yoga. It's the practice of restorative yoga where I, um, the pose is all about finding rest and support. So as you support your body in a restful pose, the body relaxes. And that's when the mind can relax. Your breathing goes down. Your heart rate goes down because your, your muscles is not tense. They can be toned, but they're not tense. And it's in that moment of rest where the parasympathetic and the, the sympathetic nervous system starts to come back in balance because where grief takes you, it takes you into the fight, flight, or freeze zone. Okay. I have actually been doing, yeah, I've actually um, been doing yoga actually when we, I was you know, mandated to start working from home. This was like, uh, like in the middle of March, so... I started, you know, doing yoga then, you know, just, you know, because I wanted to get through, you know, it's kind of a stressful time trying to work from home. And I, you know, felt bombarded because, you know, we still had to work, you know, and it was a crazy busy time. And then, you know, I just kept it up throughout, you know, my mom being ill when she was in rehab and I couldn't, you know, see her, just could talk to her on the phone. I, you know, I found yoga to help me get through that time and I'm still doing it and you know I'm I'm finding it's it's very therapeutic for me right now as well. Yeah, because how it works as you are focusing on the pose, you're not it's the process of the mind. So we the more we do something, the more it builds a habit and it's in building a habit. It's not about the perfect pose, it's the habit of doing something that helps with our healing. So when I do a child pose, it's not being in a perfect child pose or if I'm not there for, you know, five solid minutes, it's the act of doing that brings our healing. So each day that we get up, 
and we take a step and we put on our coffee, make our tea, we go for a walk, we take out the dog, whatever our routine is, every day that we do that, the act of doing something is actually moving us through our grief. We don't right. really, you know, it's that habit. You know, the best thing that I can tell people is find something, you know, that when you're ready, if you want to. And sometimes what, for me, what uh, the habit that I fell into was napping. That's was me. And sometimes we need a way to escape, and that was my self-soothing because I was so okay. busy and I had a friend says, you need to nap. And I was like, I don't want to nap. I was like a, you know, like a temper tantrum child. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> I don't want to nap. And she goes, yes, you need to nap. And I'm like, oh. So anyways, but that was so healing because my brain shut off and I would nap. I napped solidly for about a year and a half, two years, and still find moments even to this day to nap. And I had to train myself not to feel guilty. So the things okay. that we did prior to our mom's death or anyone's death, we may not be able to do it because our energy level is strange. It's like when you talked about going through chemo, right? How yes. you were prior to chemo and after chemo are, is different. Grief will change you, and it's okay. I find that my grief has really taught me about self-care and my energy levels. I really honor my energy levels, and when I need to... And COVID-19 has just highlighted that, right? Yes. Your mom's death has just highlighted that. So people who, people are dying, you know, we hear the number 438 people died today, four in, in 300. It's so overwhelming that what we tend to do is shut it off. It's too much. But the fact is we're living in a world where we will probably never be able to go back to normal, what normal was. And even if we do open up everything, we're still going to have this fear and things are going to be different. So we are moving through a grief of our society and globally that there's a virus that could, if I get it, I could die. And that's the weight and that's the grief in and of itself because we are grieving the loss of control. So it's about finding ways to empower yourself. And what can you do to reduce that anxiety? And, you know, it's about social distancing. We can wear a mask. We can wash our hands. But we should also not let it steal our rituals and our way of grieving and empowering ourselves because we will get through this together. But I want to know, I ask myself, how are we getting through this? And are we really going to be together? If you really want to be together, you're going to celebrate self-compassion we're going to celebrate our neighbors we're going to be more kind to each other i really believe that this is this is as a spiritual teacher i see this on a spiritual level and this is an opportunity for us as a society to step up and care for the most vulnerable care for ourselves if we are grieving and really see that we life is a gift Right? Life is a gift. Amen. Amen. On that note, our time (laughs) is up. (laughs) I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show, to helping me go through my grieving process for for our audience members that may also be going through uh, the loss of, of a loved one. 
you gave me such wonderful wisdom and encouragement, and I just want to thank you. And hopefully I will have you back on the show in the near future. Amen. And I just wanted to say that I just I feel the need to just quickly say this prayer and to honor your mom and to let you know that her love for you and her children will always be there and is always available for you guys to reach out and she's always there. So let's honor that in that moment. Thank you so much, Ophelia. You're welcome. Have a beautiful night and love to be back on the show and let's connect again soon. We will. Thank you so much. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Boob Talk on Survivor Radio Network, and I'm your host, Cynthia Rogers. Thank you for joining me this evening as we discussed my journey of recently losing my mother and the grief process I've been going through with our return, Cecilia Regalt, grief educator, spiritual life wellness coach, and mental health ambassador. I just want you all to know if you've lost a loved one, you're not alone. It's okay to feel what you're feeling, and it's also okay to seek help through your journey of grief. We will get through this together because we are survivors. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Boob Talk with your host, Cynthia Rogers. Remember, never give up hope.